Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the upcoming Golden Globes nominations, the SAG Awards, and the annual deluge of top 10 lists. Deluge. It's raining lists. It was great. That was perfect. It's we so good. Deluge. Segue into... A millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Now it's time for the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Uh, guys, the Golden Globe nominations take place Monday. What can we expect from the HFPA when it comes to television nominations? A shit show. Chaos. Thank yeah. you for asking. Chaos reigns. No, it's. I think it's going to be interesting. And I... Even more than usual, I feel like I don't have a great bead on on where they might be leaning. Ben, you have most recently updated the Golden Globe predictions on the website. What what are you feeling like? Are, do you have a sense of something out there? Uh, I have the same sense that you're referring to, in the sense that I have great anxiety over what the Golden Globes are going to do. Um, and I think it is mainly spurred on by the newcomers. Uh, Apple TV and, and Disney kind of launching into the race just kind of cast this extra cloud over right. over trying to forecast what's about to happen because we just don't know how much sway they're going to carry, like how much they're going to be able to push through whatever they wanted to push through with the HFPA. It's been hard for me to get a read on kind of whether or not there's enough traction overall for those shows to do well. Right. It's it's kind of weird to look at how well The Mandalorian is doing and then think like, well, it was never really an awards play for Disney, so do they want it to get in? Will it get in simply because it's popular? Is this one of those things where, you know, the HFPA is just going to go throw a total curveball and be like, well, no, we love the show too. Baby Yoda, it's great. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Um, and then you've got, you know, Apple's The Morning Show, which kind of really, really needs the Golden Globes to give it a little bit of boost. Um, and I, I feel like Jennifer Aniston is probably a safe bet in the drama acting category, but you just it's just so much harder to tell. And because there is too much TV, there is so much TV, there is just a constant stack of television for them to watch, it makes it ever harder to predict exactly what's going to happen. But um, <laughs> I think 5 a.m. Pacific time on Monday will be quite thrilling. Does the HFPA typically populist in its leanings, or are they... Do they have more, like, something like Mandalorian, would that seem out of step? The Golden Globes will nominate populism, but it does not often reward it. Let me t- let me read you the most recent winners in drama series uh, at the Golden Globes. Last year was The Americans, the year before that, The Handmaid's Tale, The Crown, Mr. Robot, The Affair, Breaking Bad, Homeland, Homeland, Boardwalk Empire. That's everything from this decade. You'll notice... What's missing is Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the way it goes. Game of Thrones got several nominations at the Golden Globes, could not break through to win. And and to a certain extent, and, and that's keeping in mind that so much of Game of Thrones filmed overseas, mm-hmm. um, which theoretically should appeal to an organization who is representing um, global interests with their awards, never broke through. Because Golden Globes wants to, likes what's new, likes what's trendy, 
that's why I think it could be Mandalorian. I think you make a great point in the sense that what the Mandalorian has going for it over a lot of those other populist contenders is that it did come out in November. It's not an April release to make a play for the Emmys like Game of Thrones almost always was, uh, or at least an earlier in the year release that, that just kind of lasted because it had become that dominant. Uh, Stranger Things is another one that typically uh, has gone over the summer months or tried to take advantage of those early release dates. So the the th- the fact that the Golden Globes like to play Kingmaker and nobody's crowned the Mandalorian yet definitely works in its favor. And honestly, even the Mandalorian getting a nomination for drama series is a pretty big win for Disney. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. No, no one was predicting that before the launch. No one thought they were just like, well, they're going to be happy with just, you know, getting the subscribers and letting the Star Wars people be happy. And, and now all of a sudden you can't look on your on your social media timeline without seeing baby Yoda. So now it's just kind of in the conversation enough where, yeah, you kind of got to think about, well, maybe the HFPA was just as, you know, excited about this show as everybody else. Can I go on a tangent quick? Oh, love it. About baby Yoda. How did they not know what they had there? I, I originally thought that they were, and I think everyone thought they were holding baby Yoda merch to drop immediately after Thanksgiving, heading into the Christmas season, but they seemed wholly unprepared to have merchandise for Baby Yoda. Like they they completely under underestimated the appeal. They have some shirts they dropped, I think, last week that are kind of just like the same one image slapped on a variety of different shirts, like your basic red bubble homemade store. But no plush, no toys for Baby Yoda coming out until 2020. I just how did they not know this was going to break everyone's brains? Well, the company line that John Favreau put out was that he asked them not to make it because he was worried the the specs or the pictures or somebody in the factory making them would spoil it, would ruin the surprise. I don't believe this for one second. No. I I just can't fathom that that one anyone would make the jump from seeing a small version of Yoda to oh that's the big twist in the Mandalorian. Right. Um and two it it just feels like they're kind of covering for the fact that they did mess up, that they did not realize what they had with Baby Yoda. And now they're trying to scramble and make up the ground, but they, I don't know. Well, that sounds crazy. It's for, like... for a company that legitimately has made its bones on guessing exactly what yep. families and children want, to not understand what a huge hit they had on their hands. Can, can you imagine Bob Iger going like, well, we could make a trillion dollars getting baby Yoda toys out before Christmas. Or we can but keep John Favreau, John Favreau doesn't no. want us. Yeah. <laughs> but John Favreau doesn't want us to, and we really want to stay in the John Favreau business. Like, my dudes, that is not what happened. Sorry. Thank you. Thank no. you for my tangent. Good I'm tangent. Zack Zach Snyder would be directing the back half of Mandalorian so fast. <laughs> 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 Just because these two things are sort of inextricably linked, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. If the morning show does not earn a nomination, what does that mean for Apple TV Plus? Trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's not good. It's it's the impression is all we have right now. We do not know how many people. We don't even know how many people have subscribed to Apple TV right. at this point. Uh, Apple TV Plus, um, and we definitely don't know how many people have watched the morning show. Um, but the fact that it is just been destroyed by its unfortunate launch partner Disney Plus, but but it is given the impression that the morning show has at least stumbled, if not been an outright disappointment right. for this launch, because it, it's supposed to be their their primary show. And honestly, if it can't get the awards that it was literally made to win, 
and earn the prestige that Apple needs to continue selling that show as a success and continue pushing that show as something that people are excited to see or at least talk about or steer the conversation toward quality um, over <laughs> viewership, uh, then, then I, I think it's a problem. I think it's a big problem because I, I do not think that this, we've talked about this before, but I do not think that the SAGs are going to save it. I think it's a much, they have a much better shot with the Globes than they do with the SAGs. And if it goes Monday morning, no nominations to Wednesday morning, no nominations, then there's going to be problems at Apple. Two days after the Golden Globes, the SAGs will make their uh, nominations. Uh, Libby, you wrote a little bit about this. Yeah. You know, I was looking into the the SAG Awards recently, and they're, they are also kind of bizarre. I will say um, they aren't super predictable, but they do like the same handful of actors or performances. And I do think part of that is because of how they do their voting breakdown, which is different from the HFPA, which is a 90-some person group. Uh, the Screen Actors Guild, the SAG-AFTRA, has over 160,000 members in it. So instead of having 160,000 people vote for nominees, they break it down to two groups of 2,500 people, one to come up with nominations for film, one to come up with nominations for television. And then once the nominees are selected, open it up to the full voting, eligible voting body uh, to pick the winners. But the thing is, that committee seems to love the same performances over and over again, or the same actors. Like you'll have Tony Shalhoub being nominated for Monk, and then you have Tony Shalhoub being nominated for Mrs. Maisel and winning for both. And How many times was he nominated for Wings? Not enough. Oh. But I mean, I think the most representative thing for the SAGs is the fact that friggin' Alec Baldwin won seven years in a row for 30 Rock. For every season of 30 Rock, he won. And I'm not saying that's not a great performance. I'm just saying there were other performances on television. But I think they get into a rut when the same things are nominated. They're like, oh, well... I know that's good. Well, I mean, it is it is worth kind of talking about the SAGs in the sense of a popularity contest. Like we we look at the Emmys more and more, especially this year, as the most important factor is whether or not your show was seen, like whether or not it, it was watched by the voters. And that's such a big ask these days, especially if you're a, a new program or, you know, you don't have the backing of an HBO or a Netflix, you know, and you're trying to get people to, to pay attention. But with the SAGs, to me, it's it, a lot of the nominations have skewed, especially over the last five years, toward things that are easily accessible. Um, they're not necessarily all Netflix shows, but Netflix does do quite well at the SAGs because Netflix is something that is very easy to consume. It's, it's just right there waiting for a lot of people who treat it as a utility, as we've talked about before. Um, so... Again, one of the biggest difficulties facing somebody like Jennifer Aniston of The Morning Show, who normally everybody loves, it's the idea that Apple has to make sure that all of those voters watched her in the show, or they feel like they have to nominate her anyway. Yeah, is there an element of this? If it is a popularity contest, if it is like this is student council, I mean, is it just is your, is your is your curating all you need? If your curating is high enough, like you Jennifer it, Aniston, you get nominated. I think it's I think that's always a factor. I would say that. Usually, if they're watching anything at all, then whoever they're passionate about that they've seen would topple the person they haven't watched and they feel like they should vote for. I think that usually plays out, but... 
Guys, we're coming to the end of the year, which means everyone is gonna be putting out their best of lists. Ben, you put yours out on Sunday. Well, Ben has a lot of takes on list theory. Yeah, but, but why is your list wrong? Oh, excellent question. I would never say that my list is wrong. I feel like everyone is ready to tell you why your list is wrong. And that's almost the purpose of the list, to try to just stoke the fires, if you will. Um, I've always kind of butted against the idea of... What is a list? Television. <laughs> what, what is a list? What is television? No, like, what, is the, what is the aim of a list for you as you're composing a list? For me, the aim of the list is to be honest. Um, it is to take that uh, the same objective assessment that you lend to your reviews and to convey that in a ranking of the best of the year. I am not, like, I know a lot of people who really hate lists, which I think we're going to get into in a second, but I, I feel like a lot of people who don't like lists are very happy being just kind of flippant with their choices, not in the sense that they don't care about what's included, but that they often, you know, just are like, you know what, we didn't talk about that enough. I'm putting it on the list. It's not one of the best 10 of the year, but I'd rather talk about that than the thing we've already talked about a million times. And that leads to a lot of different conversations as, you know, December rolls out and we get a lot of different lists and a lot of different rankings. And then, you know, Metacritic takes all the lists and puts them into one ranking and gives you the ultimate list of the critics picks. And then the awards start and we get even, even more rankings with the nominations and the eventual winners. And it's all designed to get you to watch the best TV in theory. So that's why to me, I always want to just start from that very basic stage of like, okay, what's the best television that I have to make sure you know about that you either considered or are considering and you need another reason to watch or that you forgot about or that uh, you remember very distinctly. But if it's not mentioned there, then <laughs> You know, it invalidates things. So to me, I I always start with just trying to be honest. And I think the purpose, I think a good list is kind of a reflection of the author's intent. It is important to kind of read those intros to lists to understand why somebody is making that, because usually they'll be fairly frank about, you know, what they were trying to do. A lot of people have written wonderful top 10 lists where it's like a where it's basically a screed against I hate this process I don't want to do it I'm going to explain to you why I hate this process and why it's silly but I I love lists I find them extremely comforting I think the organization aspect of it and the way that it can kind of steer your focus around a year of television which is a lot of television um, it can steer your focus toward 10 or 20 or 30 very specific shows that you think are that valuable I think that provides a good service so that's where I start with my list I would argue, I feel like my hatred of lists has been misrepresented because I don't hate lists per se, but I really hate ranked lists. Yeah. I think it's impossible for me to say, well, Fleabag is better than Watchmen or Watchmen is better than Succession because they're feeding different parts of my soul. I get different things out of them and it feels pointless to try and quantify that there is no basketball one-on-one -on -one that you would have fleabag go against watchmen and be like well fleabag won it scores more points like there's there's no way to really well don't get me started on how i hate analogies. the brackets <laughs> like oh, brackets. The, the pop culture brackets we can talk about that in march no i i i understand this and at the same time it's the same thing i run against whenever somebody tries to talk to me about how do you grade your show how do you grade how did you decide on an A versus an A minus or a, a C versus a C plus? Like, and sometimes those kind of those middle grades are a lot harder to do than the, the top grades, um, or bottom but, grades. Yeah, or bottom grades. Um, but no, it's, it, for me, it's it's a lot easier to rank them. Um, it's a lot easier for me to look at 
you know, narrow down the shows to like 20 and there's five on there. I'm like, those five are the best. And then look at those five and be like, that one's better than that one because of X, Y, and Z. And a lot of it comes down to TV is told in episodes. It is it is told in segments that you can analyze individually. And if those like if those segments, if there's six A's versus five A's and a and an A minus, then it's like okay, that's probably it. And if you don't like that decision, you have to justify it to yourself. So it creates this kind of objective experience in which you can you can satisfy your own neuroses and be like, okay, this is this is why this is better. Um, so like the ranking to me also signifies an importance in a way of, of how you need to address these because I do feel instinctually just from even being younger, when there's so many lists coming out, a lot of the time you scroll to the bottom, you look at their number one and you're like, okay, that's, I do have to watch that show or okay, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good pick or I love that. That's so nice to see it there. This is um, young Ben in the Midwest reading Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> that is, uh, that is 110% accurate. <laughs> Midwesterners coming together. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I like, <laughs> I like the ranked lists. I find them extremely comforting, and I am, I am often infuriated by the ones that are unranked. I'm also infuriated by the ones that are unranked and have like 30. Uh, yeah, I, I, I also agree with that. I think if you have 10 unranked, I think that's fine. That's enough for someone. Because I, I do think the the main, your main thrust with the list is correct, which is to spotlight shows that you thought were great that maybe some people have missed or have to be reminded of. I love the NBR system, the National Board of Review system, which is like, this is best, here are 10 others. And uh, I can get behind that. And honestly, Ben, I will I will admit this. I prefer ranked lists. I just can't do it. <laughs> like, I, I can't. I, I My brain doesn't work that way. I hate it when people don't rank them, but I could never. Yeah, no, and I, I understand that. And again, that's why I'm very glad that I have the opportunity and I feel very privileged to be able to to be able to rank them, like to rank know things. that I need to rank them and that I can feel comfortable going through the process because I can definitely understand someone others, another person's perspective is just like, this is not possible. Like you cannot, art cannot compete against itself. That's insane. And that happens so often during an award show where you're sitting there watching Adam Sandler go up against Adam Driver and you're just like, God, how do I choose? This seems silly. They're two very different roles and very different films and yet they're objectively sorted into this category. Why do I have to pick one? I just want to enjoy both. Go see both movies. And and, you know, in the end, you eventually are just like, well, if I had to pick one, it's going to be Adam Sandler. That's the right choice. Well, but this is getting cut. <laughs> I am the person like I am the per- I am the child, like with all of her stuffed animals, like my parents will be like, well, you can bring one. And I'm like, no, with all or nothing. Like I like I can't leave anyone behind. Um yeah, that's me and TV. I will say well, I a- got to do the honorable mentions. That's, oh, yeah, that, is yeah, the, I know. that is the most freeing experience oh, of yeah. the top 10 list is once you've settled on your 10. And usually, like for me, I'm just sitting there with those last three being like, I oh, could yeah. swap out 14 in these last mm-hmm. three slots. Um, then you get to just kind of go through a, an explanation of like, I'm so sorry. This is fantastic. I love this show. I can't believe I didn't put it in there. I feel I so bad that I'm it's not in there. I'm reading it right now. It's it delightful. It Make sure you don't forget about that too. And I'd argue fuck. that your honorable mention could probably could in a in a head head to head do pretty well against your top ten. Oh no, absolutely. The strong honorable mention. Well, the, uh, the other thing, a lot. I think there's at least we have a couple five. shows on there that had their final seasons yeah. and, you, and you sort of put them out to pasture because it's their final season. Well, I put Veep out to pasture for its final season because Veep has gotten all the accolades in the world. I gave it as much as I possibly could while it was airing. 
Um, it is an immaculate season of television. I love the ending. Uh, but it was one of those things where it's like, if I have to choose between reminding people of this show and saying one more nice thing about it versus being like, hey, don't fucking forget about Pen15. I'm going to talk about Pen15 because they're on close to equal footing and Pen15 needs the help. And Pen15 deserves it. So it's like, okay, that's that makes that choice a little bit easier. BoJack was a technicality because they only gave us half a season. So I'm just like, I'll let my <laughs> like, I'll let myself keep that off because it's just half. But no, like the and again, this kind of goes to the broader list making thing that I that I love. I've seen at least five or six of the honorable mentions in other people's top tens. Oh, in, yeah. in their top fives. Like it, it makes up that very strong core. And I think that's what's nice about having so many different voices who care enough to make the list, to rank the list, to do whatever they can to try to convey the importance of the shows uh, in a very, you know, in that kind of concise manner. Um, I think that's what's so nice about having them because you can kind of get a good picture of the year in TV and then also still be reminded by like, oh man, I I don't know how many people are going to pick Superstore this year, but hopefully when somebody sees that on my list, they're like, fuck, I do, I should catch up with Superstore. That's it. I, I, that one I've been letting slide or whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And you can disagree. You can be like, I can just miss that show. Look at the top five and be like, that top five looks like I've seen those shows in a lot of places. I got to make sure I watch those over the Christmas break or whenever. So, I mean, to, to your point, I, I looked at your list and like of the things that I hadn't seen that are in your top 10, I think the top the top one was Toucan Birdie. And I'm like, I got to I have to watch Toucan Birdie. And like, it's it's my fault that I haven't. Yes or no. If you were on a lie detector, is this the same list you would come up with? Probably not. Um, I think lists gotcha. will vary. And that's gotcha journalism. <laughs> I, I think they do kind of vary. And a lot of people have said this, especially this year. Um, they vary by the time you're making it. Uh, they vary by, like, you know, you try to eliminate recency bias when you're thinking about it. When you're Is that why Watchmen isn't one? That's not why Watchmen isn't one. I honestly think Fleabag is just a per- literally perfect season of television. And Watchmen so far is right there with it but there's been enough there's been enough episodes i've seen where it was like well a little bumpy here a little little off there um so again that's like the perfect score from the judges versus like the one that got a nine you know a five tens and a nine um i think one last thing on lists how how did you leave the witcher off of your best of you hadn't even watched it you nope. hadn't, even, hadn't even watched The Witcher. I've seen and you enough made... of it now. <laughs> can't believe it wasn't in your... I can't believe there wasn't a disclaimer about how you hadn't yet watched The Witcher. Leo, what I'll, what I'll tell you, because I know The Witcher is very important to you. Um, and I know that New Amsterdam is very important to you. I know This Is Us is very important to you. Uh, but the one show that I thought about the most, that I tried to figure out a way to get on into the top ten, that I was like, man, Leo would really like it if I could get... I can make this happen. And then, you know, at the same time, I was like, well, shit, Libby would really like this too. I think I, I think they'd be really excited if I think you should leave. Yeah. I oh, would yeah, make yeah, the yeah. cut. And I just, I. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it's perfectly, it's well suited for the honorable mentions. But, but the question I would have for you is what was your 11th? What was the one that like. Probably Veep. Veep and Bojack were probably 11 and 12. For various reasons dropped out just because. And, and again, once you get to, once you kind of make your cut at 10. 10 is always the most fun spot to pick. I think You Should Leave would definitely be my 10 spot. It's just, um, 
it's it's just a delight. I feel like you can do anything in a 10 spot. Tim Robinson doesn't need any more heat on him. He's doing just fine. Yeah. He got let's a season get, two. That's Let's important. get Superstore out there. <laughs> to the masses. To the masses. I just miss Detroiters. That's the truth. I, w- I did want to ask just kind of in general, is there anything else in particular that you guys value about lists and let's go beyond just the top 10 like there's so much that comes out at the end of the year you do you have your top 10 you have kind of your overlooked you have your performances you have new shows like there's a lot of different versions of them and i feel like you know a lot of them run because they get traffic and people are interested in them um so why is that what are you guys looking for when you click on a list i mean i think i kind of answered this a little bit talking about your list is like i'm looking for things that i've either slept on or that are, com- for whatever reason, completely new to me. Even if I'm talking about music or or movies, like I'm looking for things that either I, I have forgotten or uh, that I'm not aware of. That's sort of my aim when I click on a on a list. Um, I look for validation, honestly. <laughs> uh, no, I do. I mean, and I think a lot of people do. I want to. I want to. I want to go through those lists and I want to see what shows have a level of critical consensus around it. And again, because I work at IndieWire, because I specialize in TV, I have a pretty good idea of what that critical consensus is going to be. But I love at the at the end of the year when all of the most influential and and insightful critics in the trade go back and like evaluate all of those shows, all of those shows from February, from June and whatever and and kind of lay it all on the line. I want to see where Chernobyl is coming in on everyone's list. I want to see who remembers Fosse Verdon. You know, I like seeing love for shows that I love. And um, I guess it's good to keep my ear to the ground. Like, if there's something I've been very reluctant to get into, if I see it on 80% of critics lists, that's when I have to check it out. Like, that's just the rule. Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing that kills me, though, is that because of when Emmy season comes, we get to these top 10 lists and Fleabag is at the top as it should be of everyone's and I'm kind of like oh really like we're still talking about that <laughs> because it's already won the like 50 Emmys it, it feels like it's done it was it's a lot like uh, the Americans winning uh, drama series at the Golden Globes last year it's like oh okay yeah I mean all right yeah but all right what's gonna win the Emmy for, for best drama the Emmy yeah Witcher <laughs> Witcher uh <laughs> What's gonna win Emmy for what's gonna be one, one Emmy for comedy? Barry. Yeah, Barry. And then one last quick thing. What's the most surprising thing the Golden Globes are gonna do on Monday? Give me a crazy thing they could do. I am predicting that Emma Thompson will get nominated for years and years, which I think uh, is that a show seems that, like a safe bet. that dropped off the radar for a lot of people, but just seems like it's a perfect Golden yeah. Globes series. Yeah. Succession gets six noms. Fuck. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa so Wait, like that's completely that's drama, bizarre. Drama series. That, that, here's the thing that, like, I think we're all we're all taking. We, I asked the question thinking, here's a bad thing that could happen. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just like, yeah. No, I'm saying my natural pessimistic energy oh, was yeah, like, of course. and then you took it and like you're like, oh, what if Succession got six nominations? I mean, that'd be bad shit. So clean take. We got Ben saying that Emma Thompson for years and years. I hope it doesn't happen. And then it's not a good show. <laughs> And then Libby, succession? then Libby no, saying, I want that to happen. Libby saying six nominations for, for Succession Monday morning. Yeah. Hey, Libby. <laughs> <laughs> I love this portion of 
the show where it's just you guys asking me dickholish questions? No, oh, dickhole. I'm terrified of the answer to those every week. I live in fear. I, w- I you know what I should start. To, I'm gonna. I did it the first couple of weeks. I need to look up Quibi news because I'm sure Quibi did something incredibly stupid this week. Oh, I think <laughs> yeah. I think I actually know. Well, Quibi did you get the best guys, brand on television? Have you guys seen the the making the rounds? The how to watch the Irishman as a Quibi series? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, here's here's Quibi news. Uh, Kendall and Chris Jenner team with Quibi for a new celebrity series. New celebrity series from the Jenners. So Kendall and Chris Jenner have a show on Quibi. Libby, do you have a show on Quibi? No, I do not. Thank My God. My lifestyle brand has not taken off the way I hoped it would. The podcast goes on <laughs> another week. Don't yell. Don't laugh at me. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about our TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Anne Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>